growing up, my parents were, were good parents. Um, they, they weren't too strict or anything like that. But one thing that my mum was particularly strict about, which is a bit ironic given that you're, I'm handing out sugar water, is that she didn't like us having lollies. Now I need to say, hi mum, because my parents listen to my sermons online. Um, so growing up, we were rarely allowed to have lollies. My sister used to go down the shop and buy milk for my mum from the local milk bar and she would use the change to buy lollies and then she'd get home and lie to my mum about why the change didn't add up. That's just what the shopkeeper gave me. And uh, of course she would come out the back and eat the lollies and we'd go, if you don't share those lollies, we're going to go dob on you to mum, you know, and, and so we'd get some of these lollies. We would have birthday parties and we'd have cake and chips and sausage rolls, but no lollies, you know, dried fruit if we were lucky. So when the Clark boys went to other people's birthday parties, what do you think happened? We would gorge ourselves on these lollies. Now, when I say we, I probably mean me. I don't know what my brothers were like. But we would gorge us and we would fill our pockets up. In fact, I was so bad, I would eat myself sick, quite literally. And I'm starting to realize why people don't invite me around to their parties. Um, now, when Becky and I were first married, Newly married, living in Armadale, we would go to the, we went to the shops and we were going through the supermarket and I'm like, I grabbed a bag of lollies and put it in my shopping trolley. Yes! But I was waiting to see what Becky would do because, you know, my mum echoing in my head, put those lollies back. But Becky didn't say anything. And I think Becky was still in where, being polite with each other, working each other out, you know, new life together. And so I, I'm walking up and down this trolley, this shopping, think I'm going to get some lollies, I'm going to get some lollies. But then my mum's echoing in my head. And, and by the end of the shop, as we go up to the cash register, I couldn't take it anymore. I took the lollies out and I put them back on the shelf. And it's like, no, mum one, Paul zero. But as you can tell, I have a weakness for sweet things, which is why I married Becky. Um, But that also explains why we have this annual lolly service at Redcliffe, you know, doesn't it? I think as Patty says to me, when ministry is about to take place, whose needs are really being met? Whose needs are really being met? So there's a, a wrestle I have with sweet things. Now this is exactly the type of people that Paul is writing to in today's reading. People who have been bound up with the law, don't have lollies, so tightly that when God's freedom comes, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to handle it. They go crazy because they're saying, I have a right to do anything. And Paul's saying, yeah, but not everything is beneficial. No, no, I have a right to do everything now in Christ. Yeah, but not everything's helpful. Now, of course, Paul's not talking about something as trivial as lollies. He's talking about all sorts of things in his his, um, 
is our letters. Sex, idols and idol worship, drinking, all these things. Now we know, and you would know, that children, many children who are brought up really tightly under law, when they go off to uni, they can go crazy. But it's also the opposite's true. Children of the hippies, remarkably, many of them turn out to be really conservative. Because like, oh, my parents just like no rules, just do what you like. It's like, man. Children of Mormons go off and, and do really crazy things, the ones that are brought up really tight. Paul writes elsewhere, it was for freedom that Christ has come. It was for freedom that Christ has come. How do we live that freedom? Without going crazy, without becoming bound by the law. So much of the New Testament, the epistles, are wrestling with that problem. How do we live in freedom? And this week, Paul is writing to those who go crazy, who just want to do anything. Next week, he's writing to those who want to go back to the law and and bind themselves up. And he says, no, Christ has set you free. Don't become slaves again. And of course, this is still true for us. And I'm sure you're thinking about, oh yeah, I have a tendency to be a bit this way or I have a tendency to be a bit that way. Our debates in the church about sex and dancing and gambling and drinking, most of the time it's understanding what does it mean to live in freedom. How do we live with this freedom? So that's what this series is. We're trying to explore rules for freedom. And I want to say not laws. Not laws, but principles wisdom or common sense for a not-so-common life. Common sense for the Christian life. But today I want to give us some understanding of the context because freedom is actually a really hard thing to define. You might think, no, it's not. What is freedom? And not only that, but how we define and think about freedom now is very different to how people in biblical times understood and defined freedom. We define freedom as individual autonomy. Individual autonomy. As an individual, I can do whatever I like. I should be able to do what I want, which is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants. But in biblical times, freedom wasn't an individual concept, but a communal concept. And it was probably more related to things like slavery as an, as an individual. Am I a slave? Has someone bound me? Or am I free? So as a community, they would say, our people, Israel, are we free as a nation? So, you know, are we ruled by Rome or uh, Egypt or are we free? I might still be under my boss or my father or my husband, but our people are free. We're not under a foreign power. In fact, what we would call freedom, individual autonomy, 
Hardly anyone in those days had that. And in fact, hardly anyone for most of human history has had individual autonomy, the ability to just do whatever they want. And that is still true in many cultures today. In biblical times, the people with individual autonomy were the kings and the rulers, you know, the Caesars and the pilots, but then the the heads of the household, the clan. In in Rome, only the um, wealthy men could vote. They were the ones with individual autonomy. They made decisions for everyone under them, what their religion would be, where they lived, what they did. Everyone else, slaves, servants, wives, children were considered property. Now we're completely shocked at that. We look at that and think that's a horrible way to live. People are property, but for them they would not be shocked at all. That was normal. Because for them, that was survival. If you wanted to survive, you needed to live under a strong patron, a strong man. The only other people with individual autonomy back then were the crazy people. You know, the people that no one could control, the poor. Um, those people like John the Baptist and Isaiah and uh, you know, all those prophets, those crazy guys who just did what they wanted and said crazy things. And and maybe it was actually the unclean. They were chucked out of society, so they actually had to do whatever they had to do to survive. They would look at our society today and be shocked. And that's what many Eastern, <coughs> Eastern communities do. They look at our society and they're actually a bit shocked. Why? Why are they shocked? Because individual autonomy looks so, so, so much like something else. If freedom is the ability to do whatever I like, you might suddenly go, hang on a sec, isn't that how we define rebellion? Isn't that selfishness, doing whatever you like? If a child just does whatever they like, they're a rebel. And if you live in a community, you know that that attitude kills community. It's a cancer to community. It's dangerous. If we were all on a desert island and we said, right, we've got to survive, we've got to survive, we're going to do things, what are you going to do, what are you going to do? And you just said, I'm just going to do whatever I like. We'd all go, mate, you can't do that, you can't. It's called the free rider problem in in economics and and things like that. The the people who just go along for the ride, who don't contribute. And so you can see why some Muslim communities across the sea look at the West and go, these guys are are anti-God. They are rebellious, selfish people. And when we think about it, we would say, no, 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 that's not what we mean by freedom. It isn't rebellion. It isn't selfishness. And so what do we mean? What do we mean? Maybe we'd scratch our head and say, well, maybe we mean freedom is do whatever you like as long as you don't hurt anyone. And you've probably heard that. I had. I can do whatever I like as long as you don't hurt anyone. But would you employ someone under that contract? I'm just going to come into the office, I'm going to do whatever I like. Oh, but I won't hurt anyone. Oh, okay then, that's great. 
I'm just going to pay you whatever I like. Sounds like a good deal. Freedom is a hard fish to catch. And here's the other irony. The reason we in the West, in Christian countries, think of freedom as individual autonomy is exactly because of Jesus and St. Paul and passages that we've actually read. Because they change the way the world thinks. Can you imagine you live in Rome, in Judea, Jerusalem, a world of slave, servant, property and patrons. There's no individual salvation in that society. Nations are saved. Tribes are saved. Clans are saved. Rich men are saved. And if you're lucky, you'll get by on their, on their curt, what is it called? Coattail. And then this guy called Jesus or the church come along and say, it doesn't matter about your clan. It doesn't matter about your marital status, your gender, your race. There is neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. All can be saved in Jesus. More than that, you can find freedom in Christ. You might be a slave at home. You might be a servant at home, a pleb, poor, a nothing, a nobody. But in the world to come, the kingdom of heaven and in the church today, you are a somebody. You are an equal. You are free. You are a child of God. Wouldn't an organization like that go gangbusters in a world like that? Well, that's exactly what happened. And the Romans, and you can read these Roman quotes, at times they derided the church for being filled with women and slaves. Well, this was an organization of nobodies and plebs and slaves and women. And ah! and the church has gone, yes. Jesus made salvation no longer a tribal thing, but an individual thing. It's not what clan you belong to, your race, your gender. Do you trust me? And this set a revolution through the world that has taken thousands of years to actually roll out because it's such a radical idea. And it's still rolling out, really. Some of the things have only taken place in the last hundred years. Because the church started to realize, if God has made it that everyone has to choose Christ, if this is his plan, everyone has to choose Christ, then that means that everyone has the mental ability to make that choice. Now, everyone can do that. Before that, they didn't think slaves had that ability. The working class, women, I mean, for a, not until recently, oh, you can't educate a woman because they don't have the mental capacity. I'm not saying that. Don't think I'm saying that. That's what they thought. But the church said, no, no, everyone has that ability. So we've got to recognize that. We've got to honor that. Everyone has the ability to choose, 
We've got to give people individual autonomy, the ability to choose. And if everyone has that ability, we can't just make it a theoretical thing. We have to give them the freedom to choose. You can't be a slave anymore because a slave has no freedom to choose. You can't be property anymore. We have to give people liberty. This is the logic of, um, you know, the American Constitution or whatever it is. Everyone has got liberty. And so, bang, it's the beginning of the end of slavery, the beginning of the end of racism, the beginning of the end of sexism. It's the beginning of what we call equality now. It's the beginning of globalization or seeing the world as a human race, not a bunch of tribes. It's the beginning of universal voting. Because if everyone has this mental capacity and everyone has this freedom, then everyone should be able to vote. It's the beginning of what we call individualism and it's the beginning of freedom being a different value to what it was then. But still, the early church didn't understand freedom as this idea of doing whatever you like. Because Christianity doesn't support rebellion, does it? In that Bible reading, it didn't say just do whatever you like. It said, no, 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 don't just look after yourself. Christianity isn't about selfishness. You would have, if you've been brought up in Christianity, it would have been drilled into you. Don't be selfish if you're a Christian. So what does Christianity understand as real freedom? And the first time I heard this and started to comprehend this, I nearly fell over because it's so counterintuitive because I've been brought up in this Western idea that freedom is you can do whatever you like. And it's actually right there in our Bible reading and I couldn't see it. On ABC Radio, I was listening to Scott Stevens. He's the religion guy having a discussion with Steve Austin about freedom. And he said something like this. This is my mistranslation, St. Augustine, so Augustine, great early church father, he saw freedom as the ability to choose God. Everyone must have the ability to choose the good life. That is freedom, the ability to obey God. When we have the ability, the capacity to obey God, then we'll be free. And I'm going, how can freedom be obedience? How can freedom be obey? Isn't that the opposite? If you want to be free, kids, obey your parents. That doesn't sound right. If you want to be free, kids, obey the teacher. That doesn't sound right. No wonder this is such a hard concept to get. And in fact, we hear it and want to rebel against it. Autonomy, I want to say, is the ability to choose. Autonomy is the ability to choose. And you see this in the parable of the, um, what's it called? The prodigal son. The son comes up to God and says, you know, I can't wait till you die. Give me my money now. And the father, God, gives him the ability to choose. And when God gives us that ability to choose, we have the ability to choose anarchy, to do whatever we like. And so God giving us individual autonomy means that then all hell can break loose in our life chaos. But when, but we only truly find freedom then when we choose God. Autonomy is, says we must be able to choose. 
but we only truly find freedom when we choose God. And it's a bit like Fritz said, because God gives us this fish pond to swim in and we're free. And in our reading, Paul says it this way. Whatever you do, he's having this discussion about, well, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I do this? And he's trying to bring some common sense into it. And he says, so whatever, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. It's the same thing. If you want to know freedom, do everything for the glory of God. Follow God. Obey God and you'll find freedom. And if you go back to those examples I just gave you, kids, if you want to be free, obey your parents. Now, as a parent, I've got to say, and I've got one child in the room, but he's not listening. Um, I realized, man, if you kids just did what your mother said, wouldn't life be nice? Wouldn't it be easy? But when you say, oh, I don't want to do that, oh, man, it just gets, it's hard. As a school teacher, you know, if you just listen to what the teacher says and do it, man, life's great. Life's fantastic. It's kind of like if you go on the soccer field and you follow the rules of the game, you'll have a heap of fun. But if you say, why can't we pick up the ball and why can't I poke people in the eyes? And Now the problem is, not every parent is perfect and not every teacher is perfect. That's why at the end of the day, it's God that we have to say, I'm going to make him the one I follow. Paul goes on in this passage. And I mean, he talks about here, there's, you know, Jews and Greeks, he's talking about, there's no difference. And he says, you know, I'm not seeking my own goods. It's not about selfishness. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. (coughs) Paul knows if I seek my own good, if I seek selfishness, if I do whatever I want, I won't experience freedom. I will become a slave to whatever pleasure I seek. I'm going to drink whatever I want. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep around. I'm going to eat endless lollies. I'm going to volunteer. It really doesn't matter what you decide to choose, but you will become a slave to that thing. Some reason we're addictive beings. We can't help but become addicts. We've born to be ruled And every other ruler is a tyrant except God. If we're addicted to God, if we make God our king, then God is the addiction that won't destroy us. And it's also because we're community people. We're pack animals. We are on that desert island. We can only do freedom together. That's what is bad about I will do whatever I like. That can perfectly well work if you live by yourself with nobody else. But as soon as you live in community, it doesn't work anymore. We become free as a community when we learn to live together under one Lord. Watching Nick Kyrgios this week, and Nick Kyrgios is a huge talent, 
huge natural talent. It's just been so interesting to see this play out because so far in his career, he's been playing like, I'm going to play however I like. I'm going to do whatever I like. Now, really he doesn't because he obeys the rules of tennis, but there's still that level of, you know, I'm just going to be who I want. So much so that he sacked his coach and he, I still, I don't know if he's even got one yet, but he's like, I don't need a coach. I'm going to do it the way I want to. How's that working out for him? Now, okay, he's got millions of dollars, um, but he never seems quite happy, does he? And he's never been embraced by the community. But I don't know if you watched, but this tournament, I think we have watched him painfully, vulnerably grow up. When I do what I like, I lose. And we were watching that game, and I think it was against Nadal, and he was on top, and then he'd decide, I'm going to do one of these trick shots, and it would go out, and it, you could say, oh, when I do what I want, it doesn't work. When I do what my team says, it actually works. And he paid huge credit to his team in his speech. And I don't know that he's done that before. And I think if Nick does that, the Australian community is a forgiving community. He does better when he plays like this. He seems happier when he does this. Is this the journey we're all on? This goes to what we heard last Sunday. Fritz talking about metanoia and repent. Why did sinners, prostitutes and tax collectors flock to Jesus? Why don't they flock to the church? What was it about Jesus? Because Jesus didn't water down the law, yet sinners flocked to him. Why? Because they could, because they looked in his eyes and they saw reflected back all that they could be in him. They didn't look in his eyes and see judgment and think, oh. They didn't look in his eyes and see permission to do whatever they like. Rather, they looked in his eyes and saw permission to choose to be transformed into all that God had for them. That's freedom. Permission to follow Christ to be our best. These slaves, these servants, these wives, these women, these nobodies, these peasants, the poor. Permission permission to choose. They had never had that before. Permission to choose to follow Christ and become all that God could make them. Whatever the world might define them as, your slaves, your plebs, your nobody, your nothing, whatever the world would define them as, in Christ they were free. They were co-heirs with the Son. They were children of God. Can you see that in Jesus' eyes for you? Not judgment, not permission, not permission to disregard common sense and common decency. Permission to become your best self in God 
by following him in community. Now that's actually what this meal represents. Permission. You are no longer bound by sin because my body is broken for you to take away the sin of the world. You are no longer bound by the law because this blood is a new covenant, a new law given for you and for many, the law of love. There are no longer any barriers to you choosing to come and be all you can be to be free in Christ. Amen.